This sermon was recorded at Highway San Jose in San Jose, California. If you'd like to find out more about Highway Community, you can head to www.highway.org. All right, well, tonight we continue our series in the book of Galatians. And Paul is compelled to write this letter to a group of churches that had received the gospel, um, had received the good news, but are now experiencing a serious challenge to their faith. Paul is fired up in this letter. He, is, he uses some very strong language at times because he sees a huge threat to the very core of the gospel message at work, at play here. He is concerned that these believers are in danger of losing the freedom that they gained when they received the message of hope um, and hope of Jesus. There's a group called the Judaizers who's trying to convince the Galatians that in order to be um, faithful to Jesus, they must also follow the Jewish law um, and more specifically be circumcised. I don't know why that word didn't come out. Circumcised. Um, Otherwise, um, they are not fully children of God. They do not belong to God's new kingdom um, if they also do not become Jewish. And this message really gets Paul mad, like he's, he's heated. But he answers the arguments um, by diving deep into the history of the Jews, the Old Testament. He goes with them um, in order to satisfy the critics. And last week, Kevin talked to us um, helped us see how the law had a purpose for the Jews, um, that it was a guide and a guardian until the time was right for the full um, revealing of the gospel um, through Jesus. And the question is, who is a real child of God? And what really defines someone as a true Christian? And tonight we come to one of the main points of the letter. Paul is addressing the Galatian Christians who are ethnically and culturally distinct from Jewish Christians. So read with me. We're going to start in Galatians 3, 26. There it is. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. What I am saying is that as long as an heir is underage, he is no different from a slave, although he owns the whole estate. The heir is subject to the guardians and trustees until the time is set by his father. So also, when we were underage, we were in slavery under the elemental spiritual forces of the world. But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. The spirit who calls out, Abba, Father, so you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. Let's pray. Dear God, we thank you for bringing us here tonight. And I pray, Lord, that you would lead us by your spirit. Would you open your scripture to us today? And would you open our hearts to receive your word? In Jesus' name we pray. 
Amen. Let's take a closer look at this first section at the end of Galatians 3. Verse 26. So in Christ Jesus, you, Galatian Christians, are all children of God through faith, not through circumcision, not through the law, right? Not by acting or looking more Jewish, but through faith. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. When you believed and were baptized, you clothed yourselves in Christ. In the early church, coming to faith in Jesus and baptism went together, like they happened together. And Paul is saying, hey Galatians, when you were baptized, when you went down into that water, you died with Christ. And when you rose, right, you were raised into life. You took off your old life and clothed yourselves in Christ. You put on Christ and his righteousness. And when God looks at you, he sees Christ on you. It's like a faith jacket or something. I don't know. Maybe not really. It's a faith jacket that lets you onto the children of God team, you guys. You are clothed in Christ. God sees Christ on you. Paul is making it clear. This is the first point. Paul is making it clear that it is faith in Christ alone and nothing else that gives them a special place in God's family. And on this, children of God team, there are no special levels of importance. Let's continue in verse 28. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. It doesn't matter what tribe you belong to, if you're a man or a woman, or if you're powerful or powerless in society. If you belong to Christ, then you are included in Abraham's family and inherit God's promises. Jesus is Abraham's seed, and if you are connected to Jesus, then you are included with Abraham's descendants. Paul uses another example in verse, or chapter 4 in verse 1. He uses a more, yeah. What I'm saying is that as long as an heir is underage, he is no different from a slave, although he owns a whole estate. The heir is subject to the guardian and trustees until the time is set by the, his father. So also, when we were underage, we were born in slavery under the elemental for spiritual forces of the world. But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. So this section kind of goes back to what Kevin was talking about last week. Paul is saying that it's not really better to try to act more like an heir or more like the Jews by following the law because the law was just an a, was just a guardian, and an heir is kind of like a slave, right, who's underage. An heir who's underage is pretty much the same as a slave under the guardian until the right time. So the Jews, and Paul includes himself there, were under a kind of slavery as well. The Jews and the Galatians may have been under different elemental spiritual forces in the world, but they were both a kind of slavery. But when the time was right, God sent his son Jesus, and the status for the Jews changed from underage heir slash slave to son through adoption. 
To be adopted to sonship meant to be granted all the inheritance rights, inheritance rights of the father, same as a natural-born son. So it is through Jesus that the Jews were redeemed from their version of slavery and adopted into sonship, and it's through being clothed in Christ that the Galatians became children of God. It is faith in Christ alone that gives both the Jews and the Gentiles a place in God's family. This adoption as sons is for everyone. It is for all who are in Christ. And Paul uses the gender-specific word son because the audience understood that only males could inherit. But in Galatians 28 and 29, he makes it clear by listing these distinctions, male, female, Jew, Gentile, slave, and free, that all means all. All who are in Christ are adopted as sons, meaning they are given full rights in inheritance of inheritance. Everyone who is in Christ gets to be a son. Even me, right? I get to be a son, right? With all the rights and privileges that come along with being an heir. That includes us here in this room, from our culture and in our time as well. We get to be sons. Because of Christ, our relationship to God is fundamentally changed. We go from outsider to heir, right? We go from slave in the world to son. And not only is our relationship to God fundamentally changed, but so are our relationships with each other. As we are clothed in Christ and become sons, how we interact with one another across these dividing lines is fundamentally changed as well. If we're all heirs together, that has implications on how we organize ourselves in this new family. Now, I've heard people use this passage to preach a kind of colorblindness, and I want to be careful about that. And on first pass, it kind of makes sense. In Christ, there's neither Jew nor Gentile, male nor female, slave or free, right? There's neither black nor white, nor Japanese nor Mexican. The argument goes, we are all one. We are all heirs. We are all equal before God, so we're all the same. When we look at each other, we shouldn't see any differences. We should just see Christ. We shouldn't focus on our differences and hold on to our distinct cultures because now we are one and we should be united because our identity is in Christ alone and nothing else matters. And it can sound good. It's kind of true. Parts of it are true. It's true-ish, right? But I don't think that Paul is saying that these distinctions cease to exist, blurring everyone together. When I became a Christian and put on Christ, I did not cease to be a woman, right? But, but he says, there's neither male nor female. But I did not cease to be a woman. In Christ, I'm still a woman. And in the same way, I did not cease to be a biracial person, descended from Japanese Americans and German and English Americans, right? When I came to Christ, my family's very different histories 
in this country during World War II didn't cease to exist. The way that people, my physical appearance didn't change and the way that people view me in society or the assumptions and the comments they make to me, right? Those, those didn't change. They didn't um, cease to exist. But my identity is in Christ. But I bring all of these things into Christ and into this new family with me. God made me a woman. And God placed me in my family. He placed me in my family with their cultural gifts and all of their baggage, right? But he placed me there. He made me. And it's all a part of my story. And it's all a part of my redemption story as well. Instead, I believe that Paul is saying that though these things may define us and um, impact our standing in the world and the rights that we're granted out there, um, they do not determine our place and our inheritance in the kingdom and in this new family. In Christ, I'm still a biracial woman, but I'm not a second-class citizen in the kingdom because of it. I am a full heir just like you. I don't have to try to be someone else in order to be in. I can be a full member. Okay. I could talk about that kind of, a lot more, but I'm going to leave that there. But if you have questions want to talk to me about it later, we can talk about it. But in Christ, we go from slaves to sons, and that shifts how we interact with one another in this new sibling relationship in the kingdom. And as his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. That's the third point. Galatians 4, verse 6, we'll continue. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. The spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. God sent his son Jesus so that we could be his sons. And because we are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son. And he didn't send the spirit just to hang around us and tell us what to do, but he sent the spirit into our hearts. God sends the Holy Spirit into our hearts to live in us. That's part of the inheritance that we, that we have as heirs. And instead of being under the guardianship of the law or slavery of, of all of the, the powers around us, um, we are now under the guidance of the spirit of Christ. And this spirit is active. It calls out, Abba, Father. That's amazing to me. It calls out this intimate prayer to God our Father. And Abba is Aramaic for Father. Abba is intimate. It's what a child would call a beloved father. The name Abba is full of loyalty and reverence. When Jesus prayed Abba Father, he revealed the special and intimate 
and trusting relationship he had with God. When he taught his disciples to pray in this way, he showed us that in him, we also have access to that special kind of relationship with God. And God sends his spirit into all of our hearts. Again, this is a word to the community. He didn't just send it into my heart, but he sent it into all of our hearts. It's the spirit of God that cuts through the differences and unites us and calls us to himself. God's spirit does the work. God's spirit brings the transformation and the power to change and to draw us to himself. So what does all of this mean for us? We're not really having debates about circumcision and dietary laws in the church today, or at least not in this way. Like those debates are still happening, I guess. But there are a lot of debates and assumptions by those within and outside the church about what it means to be a Christian. Who belongs and who doesn't? And who gets to decide anyway? Our history in the church is full of examples of people proclaiming Christ into different cultures in a way that says, in order to receive this wonderful gift of Jesus, you have to stop being who you are and start acting and looking like us. Or here, we have this special gift in Jesus, but there's still this really severe hierarchy, right? And we're in charge, and you are here to serve us, right? It's it's wrong, right? We have a lot of good and a lot of ugly in our history. As the church, we often play the role of the Judaizers, and either people feel like they have to give up their culture and identity, or they say, Jesus is not for us. This gospel message and this Jesus and this God looks so foreign that it could not possibly be for our people. We're also in a time where people who are raised in and around the church have decided that Christ is not relevant anymore. The gospel message doesn't make sense or speak to them because it is in a form that doesn't seem very loving or full of grace. It comes with a lot of cultural trappings that don't fit with who we feel like we are in our core. And it can sound more like slavery for people than freedom. And our Western individualistic lens on the gospel has often focused on the transformed relationship between us and God between me and God and that intimacy, but has neglected to see and live into the ways that it also fundamentally transforms the way that we interact with one another. Our relationships with one another. And the distinctions of this world sneak into our church and divide and alienate people from one another. And in the process, we kind of get alienated from God. Paul is shaping the way we think about power, hierarchy, favor within the family here. He's talking about the ways we organize ourselves and determine who has what kinds of rights and privileges. Who gets to speak and decide and who has access to the truth? Who do we listen to and take seriously and who do we not? Who is able to challenge us and call us out when we're out of line or acting in an unchristlike way? Who do we think the gospel is for? 
Our partiality and divisions can be really overt and public and out there and ugly, but they can also be subtle and hard to notice in ourselves. It's hard to see it when it's in you. But the Spirit of Christ doesn't adhere to these distinctions. Since the Spirit of Christ now dwells in us and moves through us, that is the source of our ability to love one another and also to love and accept ourselves. The Holy Spirit crosses barriers and breaks into unexpected and creative ways. God sent his Spirit. That's where the power comes from. We're going to watch a unique video that I think is a um, little illustration of the Spirit's power to cut across human dividing lines. Um, There are subtitles. um, A lot of it's in Japanese. And um, gospel music is popular in Japan. And there are all these gospel choirs that have sprouted up. And um, this was made, um, there's a, a... musician, a gospel musician, American, African-American, who felt called to go, and that's part of his ministry, is having these, mich- these choirs. Um, and he inspired a collaboration between gospel music and Japanese taiko, and this is the first kind of collaboration of those two art forms, which don't seem like they would necessarily go together very well, Right? or they would be very complimentary. Yet watch what happens when art and culture come together and the spirit moves. So let's watch this.太鼓ですとやっぱりあのま顔を叩くっていうのはすごく響く楽器なんですね。あの異門に行くとやっぱ老人ホームとかあるじゃないですか。やっぱ太鼓の音っていうのは日本人のネイチャーみたいなのがあ
年前から始めたんですけれども始めた時はあのクリスチャンではなかったんですねで4年前に洗礼を受けてクリスチャンになったんですけれどもやっぱりなんていうのあのそれまではただ歌うのが楽しかったっていう思いだけだったんですがあの洗礼を受けてやっぱり信仰を持ってからはあのなんか心から本当に喜んであの歌詞をの意味をあのなんていう考えながら感じながら歌うことができるようになったのでなんか本当にあの楽しいですねまたたくさんの人に希望とかまた勇気とか夢とか本当の喜びとかそれを与えていけるものになるんじゃないかなということを思います。So that's a very, it's an abridged、uh, version. The full documentary is only about 10 and a half minutes. So if you want to see it, it's pretty cool. You can just Google Taiko Gospel Japan, Gospel Music Japan, and it pops right up because there's not a lot of that happening.、Um, The Holy Spirit crosses barriers and breaks into unexpected places in creative ways. I love how the man、um, described how the taiko, the drum, is like the very nature of the Japanese person.、Um, and just described like the old people weeping, like when they hear the heard the performance. And in this performance, the musician and the audience caught a glimpse of how the taiko and the gospel could go together. And what a beautiful portrait of the type of world that Paul illustrates in Galatians. The cultures inherent in taiko and gospel music aren't blurred here or erased, right? They didn't get watered down, but they enhanced one another. They became unified and enhanced one another. And then there's this beautiful, unexplainable movement of the Spirit that changes hearts. And changes lives. So, most of the musicians up on that stage were not Christians, right? But some of them were. And there's just like a powerful、um, just resonance for them at the end of this、um, when it was combined with Tycho for the Christians there. It was like really, in, it was really intense for them. And I think that.、Um, Because it was something from their culture that represented their very nature, the spirit went deep, right? And it just made sense on a deeper level. And I think they're freed on a deeper level. In a similar way, the spirit of God that lives in each of us unifies us and our lives and our communities. And the, the diversity of those are enhanced as we bring the fullness of who we are with us. As the Spirit cries out to God from deep within us, we're transformed, we're tra we are changed, and we are connected to one another. We belong. I'm going to invite the band to come up with me. And I want to give us an opportunity. Band, come. Okay.、Um, and <laughs> don't leave me out here all by myself for a while.、Um, And I want to give us an opportunity tonight. I just feel like I said a lot and there were a lot of things in there, but one thing that just really struck me was that 
God sends his spirit into our hearts. And that spirit calls out to Abba Father. And I just don't always live in that reality. And I don't know if you always live in that reality, right? And it's easy to just sort of slip into, um, I don't know, we kind of slide into, slavery is a strong word, but we, we, we get consumed with the things that people who are around us get consumed with. And we don't really live from this place that recognizes that the Spirit of God lives in me, and I'm not alone to try to, you know, I'm not alone to, to get to God, right? So I just wanted to give us an opportunity tonight to just receive or invite God. Like the Spirit of God is here already. We don't have to beg him to come. Like you don't have to beg the Spirit of God to come in you. He's already there if you've clothed yourself in Christ. But I want to give us an opportunity to open ourselves to the Spirit and just... Um, if you feel like you have been um, feeling far away from God, right? That that word Abba, Father, is not really the language or really the, the, the connection that you feel with God. And you would like to, that to change maybe. I want to invite you to stand with me and let's pray together. Or if you feel like, I just want to see like, Live in a, in a way that recognizes that the God's power is real, like the Spirit of God is here, right? Um, I want you to invite, invite you to pray or stand and, and pray with me. And let's just do that now together. I'm going to pray. Join me. Dear God, I thank you that you sent your Son so that we could be your sons, that we could be um, a part of this amazing family. And I thank you, Lord, that you sent your spirit into our hearts. And Lord, I just confess that I do not always live as if that is true. I feel like um, I have to work really hard to be close to you sometimes. But we just recognize tonight, Lord, that your spirit is here and is in us. And I pray that you would help us to know that more fully. And that spirit that calls out to you, Lord, I pray that you would help us um, let that spirit move. Would you help us to notice that spirit there and listen to your voice. And forgive us for the ways that we can feel like we're all on our own and working really hard to try to be okay. Um, but God, would you help us to know that we are your child. And that your spirit lives us and is calling out and praying on our behalf. That we're not alone, that your spirit moves in us. We want more of that. We pray that we would be a community um, that, that experiences that and that your spirit would draw us together. We love you and we pray these things in Jesus' name.